Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And boy, has it been a while since I've seen a superhero movie worth a damn. It's been a while you? since I watched this movie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, I think, what was the last superhero movie that was out? That was like worth a damn? Oh, uh, no, I was saying in general, not worth a damn. It's been in a general, minute. Since- The Flash. <laughs> well, yeah. So there's that. Yeah, the, Fla- the Flash, listen, The Flash has its problems. But it wasn't horrible. But like, it wasn't great either. Yeah. And listen, I know a lot of people who loved Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I really enjoyed it. I really uh, liked it too. You know, you know what? Let, let's, let's modify that, what I just said earlier. I have, it's been a while since I've seen a DC movie that was worth a damn. Yeah, let's, yeah, that's a good modifier, DC movie. You know what probably the last one was? And a lot of people argue it doesn't count, but it does. The Batman is probably the last good one. But the, Yeah, but the Batman wasn't like... I know, I know. It's yeah, Elseworld and it's That being different. said, the Batman's great. Guys, oh, fo- love folks, you, you, you all should see the Batman. You, got, you guys, you guys, like, go see the Batman. Because then the sequel's coming, and you need to see that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So on this episode, we're reviewing quote unquote, the first DC cinematic universe movie and the second to last DC extended universe movie. Sure. Folks, you might be saying, well, are those two different things? It's like, no. Blue Beetle. And yes. (laughs) Yes. No, yes, actually. No, and yes. (laughs) Like, honestly. That, that is actually that that's so... Yeah, that's that's so on point. <laughs> I, it's it's what James Gunn has implied. No, it's like did it do did it make enough money in box office? Yes. It, did it not do well? No. So that's honestly um, what it seems to be. So Blue Beetle. Let yes. Let, we have we have spent so many episodes when it when it's come to DC extended universe movies describing the just jumbled and messed up history of, of Warner Brothers trying to make a, a cinematic universe of their DC property. Mm-hmm. So, folks, watch our Shazam, Black Adam, Flash. We get into it on the Black Adam one. I remember that. Yeah, it, it it's it's a whole it's a whole lecture. We should we should do a lecture series of like <laughs> how messed up was Warner Brothers the DCEU. trying to yeah. yeah the DCEU. Um, so Blue Beetle was, came out so all right so when AT&T owned Warner Brothers that sounds like so long ago but it was like mm. what a year and a half ago maybe yeah. when AT&T owned Warner Brothers uh, they the first thing they they were not the first thing what they were doing at the time was we want to create our own streaming service which ended up being HBO HBO Max Mm-hmm. And AT&T mandated Warner Brothers to create content for HBO Max. And one of the ways that they wanted to create content was to create original movies, original cinematic programming for HBO Max. I'm saying HBO Max a lot. Now and known as Max. Now known as Max. And the one of the one of the ideas thrown around, one of the pitches thrown around was like, hey, how about we we make these smaller budgeted DCEU movies and just release them exclusively on HBO Max. And, you know, we're building our world. We're setting up the cinematic universe. We'll, we'll be just like Marvel because Marvel uses Disney, Disney Plus to, to expand the MCU with their TV shows and their specials. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So that was the idea. And there were two projects announced. 
that were going to be exclusive H- HBO Max uh, movies. One was Batgirl, uh, directed by the duo <laughs> that had just done Bad Boys for Life. Oh, we'll get starring, to that. Um, I forget the actress's name. Apparently, uh, Brendan Fraser was the villain in it. Yeah, he was going to be Firefly. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and uh, the actress who was cast as Batgirl, she was in In the Heights, I believe, the the cinematic version of In the Heights. Yeah, I just, not the play, the the movie. Yeah, I just can't remember what was what was her name. Uh, Leslie Grace. She was mm-hmm. cast as uh, as Batgirl, and you know that was going to be one of the the first of the two uh, of the two HBO Max DCU movies. Mm-hmm. Then got announced was Blue Beetle, directed by Angel Manuel Soto, who was known as a music video director. Uh, he directed some, he directed a indie film uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, he he had done I believe he had started doing some television at the time, and uh, they were going to do Blue Beetle, and eventually, and this is actually really funny. The moment they announced Blue Beetle, like, yeah, they're going to make a Blue Beetle movie. They're going to make the Jaime Reyes version of Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. The first thing everyone said was like, oh, yeah, get the kid from Cobra Kai to play <laughs> Jaime Reyes. Like, yeah. no. And it was like one of those, like, wish castings that everyone was like, yeah, get that guy. And then it ended up happening. It was like, well, no, doll. Who else were you going to get? Yeah. Uh, um, so Sholo uh, Maridueña was cast as Jaime Reyes. And these two films were going to come out on HBO Max. And, you know, they were going to, again, they were going to build upon the DCEU. Well, Mm -hmm. uh, a man by the name of David Zaslav bought Warner Brothers from AT&T. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. (laughs) And, And one of the first things he did was get, Zaslav is an interesting fellow, folks. First of all, he basically made Discovery what it is today. Mm-hmm. He pretty much spearheaded the shitty uh, Southern Fried Homicide, that kind of stuff. Shitty reality television. Let's yeah, because folks, Discovery Channel used to be actually, in my opinion, a really cool network at one point, where it would do these like very interesting science shows, and it would do these. Do you remember when it did that? Like it was one of the first to do like a big nature video, but on like the animals that lived after the dinosaurs, but before humans. Yeah. Do you remember that? Didn't Discovery bankroll the original Walking with Dinosaurs? They did. Or they were one of the bankrollers behind. They were one of the people behind it. Them and Uh, BBC. Like like Discovery Channel was like was like trying to be uh, a more accessible National Geographic because National Geographic could get a little academic the idea with discovery was that hey we kind of do what national geographic does but like we're not as like well they're actually they were trying to be like the history channel of the time not now again folks back then the history channel was actually about history fun fact um but they were trying to do that but be yeah like you said make it accessible now the history channel is either about nazi documentaries or viking tv shows which have (laughs) that's when you realize, oh, the connections are shocking. God damn it. <laughs> um, but, um, but anyway, back to David Zaslav. Uh, yes. So Zaslav is an interesting fellow. He understood because he had, he had formed his own uh, uh, streaming service with discovery, discovery max. I think it was what it was called. No discovery, discovery plus mm-hmm. discovery plus something like that. But when he took over Warner Brothers, he had a mandate of 
no direct to streaming movies. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he had a few mandates for the record that were pretty wild. But well, yeah. one, one being that like he was going to shelve any project that he felt would not would, would that he felt would not make money or and this is kind of the conspiracy theory. He was just shelving projects in order to save some tax money. Who knows? I'm, I'm not a tax. All, is this the guy? Sorry to interrupt you, but is this the guy who shelved like a ton of Cartoon Network content? Yes. Okay, yeah. That that drew up some, a, a some lot people of said stuff. he did it. He was doing it cuz he's like this stuff's not profitable. Others say he did it for tax reasons. Mm-hmm. One of the big the biggest thing he shelved was Infinity Batgirl. Train. Oh, sorry. Well, sorry. Yeah, I mean he Infinity Train, which I can't believe you watch that, but No, I don't watch it, but I have a number of friends who do. Of course and you they do. were they and guess what? <laughs> I bet you do too. I, I do. Um, I do. I do. Exactly. Um, let, let me that that show all I'll say is that show had an extraordinarily dedicated fan base, like hardcore. Yeah, yeah. and it was just uh, suddenly gone. But yeah, uh, Zaslav shelved Batgirl. It was like there was such a whiplash after in the it industry. was ninety percent filmed. Yeah, no, it was ninety percent filmed and like eighty percent edited. Yeah. And the let, let's they just say Holly, let's just say that being Zaslav's introduction into Hollywood did not endear him to the power players of the city of lights. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he had some good ideas. Uh, one of the ideas he had was that, Hey, uh, we should, I should really, really try to find someone to spearhead the DC property. Like Disney does with Marvel in, in Kevin Feige. And I mean, you can read the trades the, the he says he always had James Gunn and Peter Safran in mind. The trades say that Zaslav basically offered the job to anyone, to mm-hmm. everyone, and everyone said no. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? That one wh- makes mo- honestly that makes more sense. I hate to say I, it. I, I don't know. All I know is that James Gunn and Peter Safran. James Gunn, for those that don't know, he's the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. Uh, he directed a DCU movie in Suicide Squad. Um, he pretty much got his start writing tro- trauma films. He's he's. He's like a pretty he also wrote the Scooby-Doo movies. Yes. He wrote the Scooby-Doo movies. He wrote, uh, he wrote, uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the dead. He, he's, he's a really well, well-respected filmmaker who seems to almost exclusively work at least in a directing capacity after his first two movies or after his first movie and the superhero realm. Mm-hmm. Um, so James Gunn signed on to kind of be the creative visionary of the, of the DC properties and Peter Safran, who got his start as an agent, then worked his way up to producer and was the producer on Shazam and like an executive at New Line Cinema. He's kind of the executive in charge of the DC uh, properties. So James Gunn and Peter Safran pretty much were hired by Zaslav to spearhead the IP. Uh, it didn't take long for them to decide to scrap the uh, DCEU and reboot the whole cinematic universe with a new Superman movie directed by James Gunn, written and directed by James Gunn. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had a problem. There were still uh, DCEU movies on the pipeline. Uh, the two big ones, uh, or the the two big ones were The Flash and uh, the sequel to Aquaman. Mm-hmm. And then the mid-tier ones were Black Adam and Shazam. And then there was this, this, this 
originally straight to, to streaming service movie called Blue Beetle. Well, James Gunn decided, hey, or more like Zaslav was like, hey, all this stuff's going to get released in theaters and I want you guys to shill this stuff hard. Well, folks, we, we know what happened with uh, Black Adam. We know what happened with Shazam. We know what happened with The Flash. Yeah, we're winding our way down. We, we've, ta- we've done it. If you don't know, folks, check out our episodes about them. I yeah. think you'll really like it. So James Gunn, unsurprisingly, like, you know, he, he pushes his product. And we're waiting to find out, by the way, what happens with Aquaman 2, because I've heard stories about that. Oh, I've heard stories too, man. I've heard stories. It's not good stories. Uh, But yeah, Blue Beetle originally was going to be this straight-to-streaming movie and was going to be, and is now was getting a a wide release. And and not just that, they were going to do, they had remastered it to have like a large format presentation, like an Mm -hmm. IMAX and and, uh, Dolby Digital, the whole nine yards. Well, uh, from the beginning, Blue Beetle never was tracking to be a hit. It just wasn't. Um, no. uh, Flash looked like it was tracking to be a hit. Black Adam looked like it was tracking to be a hit. Uh, but those, bombed. Shazam, those bombed. And Shazam never was tracking well, and Ed bombed. No. But Blue Beetle was like, oh, this, this doesn't look good. And then a little, another little thing happened. So, folks, normally when a movie gets released, its cast does promotional uh, tours. Uh-oh. Well, uh, the a Actors little thing Guild, called the, yeah. Yeah. SAG-AFRA, the, uh, the Actors Guild, decided to go on strike mm-hmm. uh, Along July. with the writers. Well, the writers went on strike first. That's true, yeah. The writers went on but, strike first, and the actors have now joined them. The actors joined them in July. And now Blue Beetle, which wasn't tracking very well, uh, now didn't even have the benefit of having its very charismatic lead of Sholo Marandueña to promote his movie. Like, mm-hmm. or even have like famed comedian uh, uh, George Lopez to promote the movie. They nope. can't. They, they, they're, they're on strike. To, to, do, yep. to promote it would be to cross the picket line. Yep. So, man, this movie did not have a lot of good things going for it. It really, no. really did. And for the record, regardless of our review of this movie today, the, so we've talked about many times how we see trailers over and over again in theaters. This was not a great trailer. It just oh wasn't. no, the trailer sucked. The trailer sucks. Was bad. Su- still sucks. The trailer yeah, sucks. still sucks. Yeah, we're gonna play it later, folks, and it's not good. Yeah, it's not a good trailer. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the history, the poor, poor release history of Blue Beetle. It just it was a movie that was never meant to be in theaters. It was supposed to be a streaming movie, and then because of change of regime, this was gonna get a wide release. And then because of a strike, because of people not interested in the universe. because Oh, that I totally forgot to mention. The reason Blue Beetle wasn't tracking was the reason that a lot of the DCEU movies weren't tracking. When James Gunn announced that they were going to reboot the whole IP, that they were going to reboot the whole universe, people just lost interest. They were like, why am I watching something that's not even going to matter? Like, yeah, come who cares? Two years, come, come 2025 when the... Uh, Superman Legacy comes out. Yeah, when Superman Legacy comes out, what's what's the point? And you know, I, I don't I don't think Gunn, Zafran, or Zaslav thought that the audience would be that like dismissive of a of a universe just because it was going to be rebooted. But here we are. Yeah. And the it thing turns was, out the audience is smarter than that. And you know, 
James Gunn tried to salvage it with the Flash by kind of alluding that like, oh, the the Flash is going to be the movie that reboots the whole thing. That didn't yeah. end up being true. Uh, and then with Blue Beetle, the way he tried to save it was, well, you know, uh, while what happens in this movie is not going to be canon in my new universe, the cast that's in this movie will be will will be played. The characters that are in this movie will be played by the same cast. Like well, he's show just, a- so he did, but he said that vaguely for a lot of movies. He's like, some of them will come through, some of them won't. Yeah, well, well, with with, with Blue Beetle, he was pretty sp- explicit that like, yes, Shola Madalena will play Jaime Reyes in the DCU. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine, but again, this whole this whole like thing about like, yeah, we're rebooting the universe before like the last movie even releases. Yeah, it's it's gonna make people not interested in watching these movies. And that's kind of why Blue Beetle is kind of in this precarious position where it's like, yeah, we're not making money because it wasn't originally supposed to be a big blockbuster. It was supposed to be something you watched on the weekend on HBO Max, now Max. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Uh, just the streaming service formerly known as HBO Max. Yes. Yeah. Just to give, you know, so that's like the the, the, the real life history. The of messy this background of this. The thing. messy background of this movie. So who is Jaime Reyes? Who is Blue Beetle? Uh, well, Blue Beetle is actually the name of a, of a crime fighter, of a DC Universe crime fighter, given to three different individuals. Um, the, the most famous Blue Beetle of the three is actually the middle Blue Beetle, played by uh, the, the, the middle Blue Beetle is Ted Kord. And he's pretty much a... Imagine if Bruce Wayne's parents didn't die. He ended up being kind of a happy-go-lucky really rich guy and he still had a sense of justice where he's like you know what i'm really rich i i need to do something to help the world and you know what my mentor was this crime fighter who was like kind of like this indiana jones like so i I forget who the who the first blue beetle was i forget his name but he was like an indiana jones like adventurer type deal who took ted cord under his wing and then when he retired ted cord was like you know what i'm gonna take up my mentor's mantle and you know his whole thing was like he was an inventor uh he would he would like go on adventures and stop crime and he would invent these like silly little gadgets uh and you know he was just he was a happier batman Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a less serious crime fighter if if you could believe that and here's the crazy thing folks for those that don't know that ver that that comic book character that comic book crime fighter was the inspiration for uh for one of the characters of watchmen because oh yes you're right yeah because before before the blue beetle was a DC character. He was a Charleston comic book character. And, uh, in the eighties, Alan Moore was like, Hey, I want to, I want to make a story involving these Charleston characters, but they couldn't get the rights to them. Uh, so he had to kind of invent like, like very obvious copies of these characters. And I think, I think uh, blue beetle was night owl. If I'm not mistaken, is that right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Be- There's no, because, other that because been. The, the, like, and here's the thing. Look like, at, look at night owl's vehicle. Like, I know. Literally. Like I, w- I was like, how did, how did no one sue? But who knows? Oh, uh, things were fast and loose back then. <laughs> yeah. It was a mess. Uh, starting in the nineties, uh, Ted cord, blue beetle teams up with another superhero. And now they're in the DC universe called booster gold. 
and they have the second most famous bromance in the DC Comics. The most famous bromance in the DC Comics is between Green Lantern and The Flash. And mm -hmm. like literally right after them, it's uh, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. Uh, so they have a very famous bromance. Uh, they joined the Justice League. Blue Beetle gets gets a lot of fans, and you know he's, you know he's still silly and goofy. He's a goober, but but you know people people are starting to like him. All right, so now we come to the mid two thousands, or no, like I think it's like the mid twenty tens something, or no, the early twenty tens, and uh, there's this whole. There is so much comic book lore that I would have to explain, but let me just say this. Every once in a while in the DC Comics, there's something called a crisis event, which is just a big crossover event. And in the, the crisis event that happened in the 2010s, uh, Ted Kord uh, dies as Blue Beetle, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he dies because he, was, he had discovered an alien artifact and uh, was trying to keep it safe from bad guys. And this Latin kid from El Paso ends up with the artifact. The artifact ends up creating this like exosuit that gives him superpowers. And this kid from El Paso named Jaime Reyes decides, hey, in order to honor the guy who kept this away from the bad guys, I'm going to take up his mantle of Blue Beetle. And now we have the third Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jaime Reyes joins the Teen Titans. He uh, he he's pretty popular, you know. He's, he's... Oh, he he got really popular after uh, the game video game Injustice: Gods Among Us. Yeah, yeah. That's when he really got popular. Yeah, and that's yeah. when the concept of a movie being made about him really got going because he was one of the favorite. Because he was technically he was one of the more favorite characters to play as. I don't know why, but I think people just enjoyed playing as him. The uh, the the thing to keep in mind was, and I don't know, I I believe I believe Jaime was first. I could be wrong, because I remember Miles Miles was what came out. Miles Morales came out like when we were in college, mm -hmm. and I think Jaime came out maybe a, a couple years earlier. I I can't. It's hard for me to remember. But what I do know is that like you know Miles immediately became one of the most popular characters in in Marvel's like cast. It was fast. At, and DC was like, well, we got this kid who's kind of like Miles, so we're going to shill him. So he started like they started shilling him a lot. And uh, one of the things where they were like they had to put him in everything was in Injustice. And you're right. He became a very, very popular. The idea of this kid in this suit that could do anything. It's like such a like it's just a, such a like wish fulfillment fantasy that, yeah, he got popular and. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there were some people who were clamoring that if there was to be a Blue Beetle movie, it had to be a Blue Beetle Booster Gold movie. And other people were saying, like, no, just make it a Hyman movie. Yeah. Uh, eventually, That's what people cared about. Eventually, you know, they were like, okay, uh, Jaime Reyes won out, and here we are. So, you know, that's the lore history of Blue Beetle. Uh, I'm sure I got some things wrong. Um, close enough. Yeah. Uh, see, I, I'm going to ask you, like, yeah. Do you have any relationship with Jaime Reyes as a character? No. no. Short answer, no. Um, I have okay. My relationship with the character is when I, I, I think I might have known who he was before, in Justice Gods Among Us, but only like in small reference, nothing crazy. Um, but I remember him in Injustice. Um, 
And yeah, I just, I knew who he was, and I kind of associated with him as, oh, he's DC's answer to Iron Man now, kind of. That's I, how I interpreted it. I interpreted that as like, oh, he's he's DC's Miles Morales, but like DC wanted to add more stuff like Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it was. And for the record, Jaime, uh, Blue Be- this Blue Beetle's design undeniably cool i mean come on it's, it's a, cool it's it's what part you know what it's like so when i was a kid obviously i played with legos because i was the coolest kid around of course and you were. yeah we know this and there was a time when the best lego set that they ever made were these alien bugs legos that had like these weird exoskeletons that you could put on the little figurines it was very very hyper specific but it was really well designed and looking at that i don't remember what the actual lego set was called but i still kept some of those pieces for years after but that kind of reminded me of that where it was insectoid but not gross very cool very sleek in design it was like and that sort of reminded me of this so it's like when any kid who has an inkling of interest in science fiction or superheroes sees the blue beetle in this new look they're gonna gravitate towards it immediately and i i understood that and yeah so that's but my my relationship is very limited in that sense that that's all i can really say i i had to say it but yeah i i gotta be honest with you my relationship with jaime reyes extends to like i played him a couple i played as him a couple times on injustice and uh how did he play oh he's he played fine you know i i i i like everyone else was like Batman's my Quinn. main. Fuck no. Like, Fuck, dude. Harley Quinn. What? Oh my god. I don't know. Uh, we're gonna. No, we're no, gonna... Batman. Batman's the one that everyone plays as. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That, god. Harley like no Quinn. shit. Now, now, now you're gonna tell me like, well, I, I mained as as Poison Ivy. Like I ugh. didn't main. Main. God, it sounds so weird. As anybody, I played a few times with friends, and I, yes, folks, watched a playthrough of it. Kill me now. Why Why would you watch a playthrough of a fighting game? Because I'd play it sometimes, but I, don't, I didn't own a console that played it. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so we'll, 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 we'll discuss this later of uh, watching a playthrough. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what we could do? Let's do an episode on the new Mortal Kombat game. But we watched it. We didn't play it. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Actually, that game looks good for the record. But anyway. uh, I, so there was a, there was a show... Uh, the show that was like on Cartoon Network, I think, called uh, Young Justice, oh, yeah. and and in season two they introduced Jaime Reyes, and you know, folks, Young Justice, the showrunner is uh, the guy who created Gargoyles, uh, Greg. Um, Legendary show Greg, for the record. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember his last name, but but suffice to say, Young Justice was a very very well done show. And in season two, the Jaime Reyes storyline is kind of the main storyline of the whole, the kind of the overarching plot of season two. And it was really, really well done. And I thought to myself, like, yeah, that, that. at first I thought, okay, this character is a little pandering to a certain segment of the population. But then, like, seeing the kid, you know, seeing the character grow, seeing the, the trials and tribulations he had to go through by being the chosen host of the suit. I I was like, yeah, this, this would make a compelling movie. This, this would like, I could, I could see maybe like 
30 years down, like once this character has enough clout mm-hmm. that they make a movie out of it. Never in my wildest dreams did I thought they were only they were going to make a movie in just 10 years. I thought it was going to be 30, not 10. Well, time you got to remember is that the t- with and I'm going to sound like a boomer when I say this, but I don't know how to describe it. The internet has shortened the t- the span of time where in a sense that things can become vastly more popular much more quickly it also means that there's smaller audiences for everything but it also means that there that a niche audience can make something happen much faster and i can honestly believe that this is what happened to the blue beetle and jaime jaime reyes is mm-hmm. that it became very popular very fast among a specific group of people in 10 years that group of kids grew up to be adults and suddenly they clamored for it that's when the injustice gods among us comes out uh, and some executives saw that as a really golden opportunity and was like, let's do this now. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, gonna, I know I normally do this before or after the trailer, but I, w- I want to do this before the trailer because right. just, just to let you know, like, oh, wow. So the cast, yes. uh, like I've said before, we have Sholo Maradueña as Jaime Reyes. Those who, those who don't know who he is. He plays uh, Miguel Diaz in Cobra Kai. Uh, he has some sick kung fu moves. Uh, we have uh, Bruna Marquinzi as uh, Jenny Cord, the love interest. Uh, my understanding is is that she's kind of relatively new to the scene, at least in ho- in Hollywood. She she's had a career in Brazil. Uh, Becky G plays uh, Kajida, the suit, um, but her voice is heavily modulated, so you, you wouldn't even realize that was Be- uh, Becky G. We have Damian Alcazar as uh, Jaime's dad, Alberto Reyes. See, uh, do you know where he's from, or do you know what you would have seen him in? I have a theory, but I, I, I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure. But he ha- looked. What were we gonna say? Have you ever seen a movie called The Crime of Padre Amaro? I have not. With uh, with uh, Gael Garcia Bernal as a as a priest who comes. I know who Gar- Garcia. I know who that is, but I've not seen that movie. All right, so you've definitely seen him. He's the he's the bad guy uncle in the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. Oh. He's the one. He's the uncle who like takes over, who like usurps the throne from Prince Caspian. So like, I couldn't picture that guy in my head, but I did see the movie, so I'm like, okay, that character. Yeah, Fair enough. Uh, George Lopez as Jaime's uncle Rudy. Uh, I'm, you know who George Lopez is. Everyone yes. knows who George yes. Lopez is. Yes, yes, we all know who George Lopez is. All right, Adriana Barraza as uh, as the grandma Nana Reyes. Uh, she was nominated for best supporting actress in. Do you know which movie? See, I do not. Babel. Oh, she's. Oh, uh, that's that's the that's the that's the nanny. That's the nanny. She's the nanny. Oh my god! Right? Oh my god! <laughs> right? That's so fun. Oh wow! Oh my god! We have Elpidia Carrillo as uh, as Jaime's mom. Uh, do you know where you would have seen her in? No. You're you're never gonna believe this. I'm not. You're right. Because I didn't believe the babble thing just now. So what what is this? She played the she played the woman in Predator, the one who informs the soldiers of the Predator and what it does. No fucking way. 
Yep. That's her. That's her. That's such an that's such an Oh, that's amazing. Her whole thing of like when she says like all that was left was their spines and their skulls. Mm-hmm. That's her. Uh, wow. We have another uh, oh, up and coming cool. young actress, uh, Belisa Escobedo as Milagro Reyes, Jaime's sister. Uh, she's she's a she's a relative newcomer. Uh, she got her big break as one of the characters of Hocus Pocus two. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen Hocus Pocus two. I haven't I, yet. Just, I didn't either. Okay. I love uh, the first one though, for the record, folks. And it's a great movie. I'm, I'm assuming you know who Susan Sarandon is. As yes, I know who Corp. Susan Sarandon is. Yes. All right, and then we have so she she plays the villain, but yeah. the heavy is played by Raúl Max Trujillo, who plays the heavy Carapax. Do you know what you would have seen him in? He looked a little familiar, but I couldn't tell you. All right, so he's in two movies I know you've seen. Okay. Um, well, actually, he's in three movies I know you've seen. Okay. All right. He plays uh, Zero Wolf in Apocalypto. The the main uh, hunter who's hunting after the protagonist. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yes. Yep. Remember, I'm, he's the... No, I, I, I know I can picture him exactly. Yep. You know, he's like... You he has my... the... He has the more... He has he has more elaborate bone, bone wear. Uh, yeah. Yes, I remember him. Okay. He's yeah. also he's also he also plays one one of the Native Americans in the New World. Oh, is he a significant character in that, or is yeah, he just in uh, it? Yeah, he's a significant character. Tomokomo. Okay, I uh, okay. I don't think I could place that automatically in my head, but I, I, I mean, the New World's a great movie. I don't blame you. The New World is very dreamlike, so it like you. But anyway, he's also in Riddick. He played a Lockspur in Riddick. Wait, wait. The which Riddick movie are we talking about? <laughs> Uh, the third one. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, but again, like the, his most famous role is a uh, zero wolf from Apocalypto. Oh, definitely. That's, the, and, that's the one where it's like, I reckon I officially recognized him. Yeah. And rounding out the cast is Harvey Guillen as a uh, Dr. Sanchez. Uh, he, I, I haven't seen the show, but apparently he's the, he's like one of the leads in the TV version of, what we do in the shadows. I have not seen the show. But I, I have, haven't either, but I've seen clips and I, and you're right. I think I, I think I've seen him in a clip, but he's, he was in one of my favorite movies of last year. He played, uh, he played, uh, the dog, the little puppy, uh, perrito in uh, Puss in boots, the last wish. Huh? He was, he really was the heart and soul of that movie. Um, it like one of my favorite DreamWorks characters in a long time. But uh, you know this role isn't as big. Um, there's there's bigger roles in, than this. But uh, you know Harvey Gudian, uh If you guys haven't seen Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, go watch it. It's one of the best movies of 2022. All right. So see, how's about we watch the trailer and then give our review of the movie? Hell yeah. Excuse me, Mr. Reyes. You finished scraping the gum off that lounger or what? Ah. Uh. Everything right now feels so out of reach. You always land on your feet, bro. You're hymen. They don't get out much. <laughs> I just wanna rap. Jenny? I just wanna rap. Guard that with your life, but do not open it. You went in to get us jobs, and all you brought back was a hamburger? Okay, I don't think it's a burger. You haven't looked? 
What the hell is that? How did you get it to do that? I think he likes me. Systems ready. Wait, 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 no, no. This ain't what you want. This ain't what you want. This ain't what you want. Oh. What is going on? I just want to run. It's called the Scarab. It's some kind of world destroying weapon. It's designed to protect its host. This ain't what you want. Sometimes it does what you want, and sometimes it doesn't. I, I think I cut a bus in half. The scarab chose you, but it belongs to me. The love you feel for your family makes you weak. I just wanna rap. The universe has sent you a gift, and you have to figure out what you're gonna do with it. Whatever you can imagine. I can create. Let's party. Oh, yeah! Nice choice. I just want to Whoa! It's like Batman stuff. Batman's a fascist. I just want to rap. So, I have to add... I heard a rumor that when this trailer dropped and people heard uh, George Lopez say Batman's a fascist, that that line pissed people off so much that they thought about redubbing it. But they ended up, spoiler alert, folks, they did not. But apparently that's why they, there was a rumor about that because that really pissed people off. And it's why the trailer was significantly redone pretty quickly. You know, the the funny thing is, is that it makes sense for his character to say Batman's a fascist. Like, No, it does. It does make sense. But yeah, uh, he's so folks. Um, uh, all right. See, do you mind if I if I go uh, for it? Go for all it. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, I, I, I you know, we we make, we make it a point to to not like kind of reveal too much about ourselves in this podcast just you know mm-hmm. out of out of privacy and all that stuff yeah. but i i think i can safely say especially if you've like heard me how i pronounce these uh actors names mm-hmm. is i i do come from a latin background uh and and you know uh you know i, I think there are some things like there are some there are some movies out there that capture like a ubiquity that we see in all aspects of life. And then there are some movies that decide to go in the opposite direction and capture some unique specificities about certain types of lives. Right. And, and the, the, the ironic thing was, was that like when DC, when DC decided to, to green light blue beetle, the Jaime Reyes version of blue beetle, 
they their whole thing was like hey we want to we we want to push diversity we want we want to show like we 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 kind of want to show a superhero for 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 latin american families and you know when i heard that i'm like yeah 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 that's corporate speak like there 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 hasn't really been a movie about that uh i think the only the only time a movie has really spoken to a particular segment of the culture was way back in 2018 when black panther was released because there was there was something authentic there it tapped into something authentic that i think only a filmmaker of the caliber of Ryan Coogler could achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and hell, I would, I would argue that even the second black Panther couldn't reach that height of authenticity. Um, it was like capturing lightning in a bottle. And, you know, you, you hear these things all the times of like, well, you know, we're, we're trying to speak to, we're, we're trying, we're trying to speak to like uh, an audience that maybe doesn't felt spoken to with other superhero movies. And again, lightning in a bottle, they tried to do it with uh, 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 Shang-Chi. Arguably, I don't think it succeeded. Uh, they tried to do it with, um, with, uh, like I said, Black Panther 2. I don't think they say it. It's really hard. What well, when it is- goes to show you, it's like like any other situation. You, you can have the best of intentions, and a good movie is a good movie, and a bad movie is a bad movie. Exactly. Exactly. And so... You know, record, we're not saying that this the at least I don't think you're saying that trying to the the intention is not inherently bad. It just doesn't mean the movies are good automatically. Yeah, it doesn't mean the movies are good automatically and sometimes the intention comes off as cheap and pandering. And that mm-hmm. that to me is like a bigger sin when you're like, "Oh, like I don't think Shang-Chi or or, or Wakanda Forever got that bad, but let's mm-hmm. be real here." DC does not have a very good reputation right now in terms of quality. No, so my big fear was like, oh my God, this is going to be like the worst type of pandering because it's DC. Of course, this is what's going to happen. And that trailer we watched did not help. Yes, it did not help at all. So imagine my surprise. <laughs> imagine my surprise yes. when Blue Beetle, Blue Beetle captures like, like, I remember I remember talking to someone who who had just watched Lady Bird and was like Lady Bird was like the movie that made Greta Gerwig a name as a director. And they said Lady Bird captured my life as an angsty teenage girl so well. I kind of I kind of freaked out over how similar it was to my life. And I was like, okay, Lady Bird is a good movie. I, I, I don't think. We talk, about Lady, we talk about Lady Bird a lot in this podcast. I realized it's a great but, movie. No, it is, it is a great movie, and that's but, why. But but I told her I, in my mind I was like, like Greta Gerwig did not look at your life and decided to make it into a movie. That's that's kind of ridiculous because they were like legitimately like, oh my god, I had this exact same conversation with my mother. I was like, okay, tone it down. It's a good movie, but it's not that true to life. I watch Blue Beetle, and I'm like, I. I literally have an uncle who calls me that. I've literally <laughs> had this conversation with my parents. I've literally suffered that embarrassment with my with my immediate family. Oh my god, did Agen Manuel Soto like copy my life? And I know a lot of people in the Latin American community who've been saying the same thing. It's insane how accurate and dead on 
uh, this movie gets in terms of the of the Latin American experience in Amer in in you know as as young the the Latin American the Latin immigrant experience in America. It's so insane how on point it is. And here's the thing. Uh, the the family in Blue Beetle is explicitly of Mexican descent, right? There are a lot of these little things that are so unique to Mexican culture and the Mexican American experience that you know to go that far, you would you would have to do so much research and to be so authentic that I'm like, how how were they able to capture this so perfectly? Uh, the big thing being that uh, the big thing being is that there's a there's a reference to a comedic Mexican fictional character that was the inspiration of such characters as the Bumblebee Man and the Simpsons. Uh, he's called he's called the the Scarlet Grasshopper or in Spanish the Chapulín Colorado. Uh, anyone who is Latin American was raised in Latin America. Or, or, or had interacted with Latin Americans knows that name. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this movie makes a, a smart ref, not just a reference, a really clever reference, like such a clever ref. It's so clever when you realize, oh, Scarlet Grasshopper, Blue Beetle. Oh my God. How have I not seen that? It, this movie like I, I, I think when I saw it with C, I compared it like, oh, I guess this is what what people experienced when they saw Black Panther, and what people experienced when they saw Lady Bird, and I'm here going like, oh, I, I'm experiencing both situations at once right now. It's insane. Um. So, so that that's why I felt like I, I had to speak first to say that there's an authenticity here, that, like. I never expected from a movie that was originally meant to be released direct to streaming. I was shocked. I, I see can tell you like there were like these jokes that I couldn't even begin to explain to see. I was laughing my ass off because there's these inside jokes to how like Mexican American kids react with their parents react when you know the family wants to follow them everywhere to support them and instead of supporting them they're like oh you know what supporting you humiliating you in public is the same thing mm -hmm. and then there's these musical cues that are so true to life especially like the particular generation who listens to that music where you're like what oh my god this is so true to life it's it's insane and i i have to give all the credit uh to director angel manuel soto uh, the cast, uh, the writer, Gareth Dinit Alcocer, they, they did not pander. They did what Greta Gerwig did with Lady Bird, with what Ryan Coogler did with Black Panther, and was like, we're going to tap into something authentic, something real. And in Blue Beetle's case, it's not as big, large scale as it is in Black Panther. Uh, it's closer to Lady Bird in that small, intimate family level scale. And I, I think that that it works to the benefit of the movie. Uh, the strength of this movie is found in just how how you really do feel the love between members of this family. You know, I know the lead is Cholo Maradueña, and he's a he's amazing as Jaime. This is a guy who like I really hope like he gets more chances to be a leading man because he's got 
He's got the charisma. He's got the humor. He's got he's got that 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 hero look to him, but he's also got that easygoing look to him. You know, he's he's this. I wouldn't even know who to compare. You know, this is so like, I, this is a little cringy, but he reminded me of a a more easygoing Antonio Banderas, like like early or mid nineties Antonio Banderas. You know where he was mm-hmm. like, you know where where he could do it all, but he was a little like, you know, he was a little serious. Yeah, Sholom Aduenya is like much more easygoing, but had all that thing that made Antonio Banderas a leading man in the mid in the mid nineties. Um, but yeah, no, the the strength of this film is in Sholom Aduenya's uh, leading man performance. He's great as Blue Beetle. He's great as Jaime. Uh, but the supporting cast, the family, like this is one of the best movies about family I've seen all year. And I'm shocked to say that because I did not think this movie was going to be good. Like I, I told C, like I don't think this movie is going to be good, but we need to watch it for the podcast anyway. So <laughs> I have more thoughts. I have more thoughts, but C, you, you take take the floor. So because of the background, I do not have. I can't speak to the authenticity of this film, but I will take Al's word for it entirely. What I can say in the positive light about this movie is that for me, and I've had a little bit of time to marinate on it. This is, first of all, this is one of the better DC movies, DCEU movies. Sorry, let's be specific. One of the better DCE movies, DCEU movies that I've seen in a while. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, and I realized what, uh, there's something about it that I, that really captures in the right way. And that it, it has this weird 90s nostalgia to it. That's the only way I can describe it. Now, obviously, the effects are, you know, these effects wouldn't have been possible in the 90s. But it almost has this, like, very precocious energy, even in the more serious moments. It's just there. And it's just so open about that. But at the same time, what makes this movie work are those subtle details of authenticity even if I didn't understand them. And actually, what's amazing is there were actually two of the references that I did understand. One was a reference to one of my favorite directors, and the other was a reference to the uh, to an insane telenovela that I somewhat knew about when I uh, took some Spanish lessons in high school. So it's y- you can tell the thought, care, and love that this director put into it. And you can appreciate that. Um, all the acting was, all the cast, the casting was perfect all around. Um, you know, per- you know what makes the cast work so well is that like the director, because the reason I wanted to share like the credits of like the other cast members is mm-hmm. that the director was like, okay, let me get a supporting cast filled with actors that have done amazing work, ha- have have worked in the industry for a long, long time. And, and let me, let me put them in something that they never thought they'd be in, in which in this case is a superhero movie. Mm -hmm. Like all, all these actors that we have like an Oscar nominated actress. We have an actress that's been working in some of the biggest movies of the eighties. We have an actor that's been in a, in a bunch of like prestige pictures from the mid nineties onwards. 
and uh, we have like one of the more famous stand-up comedians in America in this. Oh. And like the fact that the the fact that the filmmakers just weren't like, okay, let's just let's just cast you know, like these working character actors who, you know, they'll do a good job, whatever. Which is They're amazing like, that this could have been, that this was almost on HBO Max. Like, that's what's funny about it. It's like, this is so much better than that. Like, it's actually, like, it didn't feel like, okay, I'll put it this way. Watching the trailer, when they, when I had heard, when you say, oh, this was supposed to be on HBO Max, watching the trailer, I'm like, well, yeah. But then when you see the movie, you're like, oh, my God, this is there aren't a lot of movies that end up on streaming services that end up being that that good or like truly revolutionary. And I don't know if I would call this revolutionary, but I would say that I'm so happy it ended up in theaters like I would have been mad if it just stayed on streaming so that regardless of how it's doing. And frankly, that's due to the strikes. It, it's a triumph alone that this ended up in the box office at all. Yeah. I One one other thing I, I, I want to mention that I think deserves to be said, and you've mentioned this before, this kind of nostalgia for a previous era of filmmaking, is that Blue Beetle goes to show that sometimes a small budget helps a picture, helps a movie. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? So this this was not a two hundred million dollar budgeted movie. This movie I don't even think had a hundred million dollars as a budget. Uh, wow. Let me see. Let me see if I could find the 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 budget. Ladies and gentlemen, this. we're going to box office mojo. <laughs> God, you know me so well. Well, it's the only way you can do it. Yeah, it's the, it's the only way you can do it. Uh, let me see. Da, da, da. I don't care. Uh, this movie cost. How much did this movie cost to make? Tell me. Google it real fast. Maybe sometimes that works. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I got. Uh, it co- Okay, so yeah, it did cost a hundred a hundred million. Okay. Okay, okay but ju- just to put that in perspective folks uh, most superhero movies cost between 150 to 200 yeah and then you have and that's the average ones yeah so this one cost costing half of that is still an amazing thing and what do I mean by the small the the lower budget help this picture uh, when you have a lot of money sometimes you're like oh you know we can fix it in post we can fix it in post. It seems like because of the limited resources, the filmmakers, Angel Manuel Soto and his VizFX uh, uh, post-production supervisor, really made sure to take care of like, okay, what is it that, what can we do as much in camera so that we don't have to do so much in post? And one of the big things they did was that the suit, yes, folks, the suit is actually for the most part practical. And the director had talked about how the him making the suit practical was a shout out to one of the things he loved watching as a kid, which was these old uh, tonkatsu uh, uh, Japanese superhero shows that would pop up on television. Folks, you've seen these types of shows before. The, the two most famous ones are Kamen Rider and power rangers Mm -hmm. so 
he he was in, he was inspired like hey you know if we make this suit practical uh we can we can like reference these old tv shows from japan that i used to watch as a kid and it and add to the fact that Sholomon Duenya knows martial arts, it ends up being a really, really well done uh, piece of fan service to those who loved that type of that type of, of superhero TV show. I, I mean, I love it. I I grew up loving Power Rangers, so the fact that the suit is real, tactile, it adds this level of reality to any scene you watch because you're like. Well, yeah, that's actually happening because I know that suit's real. I can see the texture on it. I, yeah. I can, I know it's the benefits real. of Pe- practical effects, folks. It, yeah, exactly. Benefits of practical effects, as opposed to, and listen, I, I hate to shit on this because I do like those movies, but really and truly, after Iron Man three, like anytime we saw Robert Downey Jr. with his helmet off in a in a Iron Man suit, it literally looked look, it literally looked like that's just Robert Downey Jr. There's a reason. Head. There's a reason why the first Iron Man looks better than the others. Oh, dude, you're so you're not like wrong he, at that all. scene where he destroys the tank and he turns around and you just see the full suit in the, in the first movie. You can it looks way better than in the in the field, in the movies following up. Yeah, especially like in um. Like, uh, like I, I liked uh, Infinity War. I really did, mm-hmm. but man, that that Iron Man suit just looked so fake. Yeah, it did not look real at all. It was rough. And, yeah, and in this one, and in in Blue Beetle, you know, it's 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 real. Obviously, you know, the suit does some things that are obviously enhanced with CGI, or if not sure. outright CGI altogether. But but the fact that like right now I'm looking at a screenshot of of, of Jaime without the helmet, uh, with the suit on, mm-hmm. and I know it's all real, and that that to me just that to me is just the cherry on top of a movie like this that it's like oh, you know you guys, at least try to make something that I could believe exists. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, without a doubt, and I think. It's so funny because the last movie we were talking about was one that had trouble blending the really amazing practical effects with the unfortunately less uh, budgeted, well-budgeted CG effects. Uh, In this, though, what I think helped with Blue Beetle is that, yes, there were moments where they obviously had to use special effects. We're not denying that even for a moment. Hell, I would argue that the... um, the the heavies outfit though practical at times was more vfx focused and that's fine but what i liked is that because of the attitude this movie held you emotionally accept the blend so to speak like obviously when he's going to space that's cgi they're they're not they ain't using practical for that and you can tell like that whole sequence where he's flying around like crazy which is seen in the trailers a lot of that's cgi but you accept it because unlike in that trailer, it's actually portrayed in a really funny, cool way. So you're able to forgive that little moment of rough transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also add that there is, so this, we talked about Black Panther, the first one, and this movie has a similar sequence to Black Panther. I was, I was about to, I was about to talk about that, but you go ahead. 
The only thing I wanted to say is, okay, for the record, much like that sequence in Black Panther, this sequence was obviously CGI. Fine. Great. But the artistry and the imagery that they used in this movie was legitimately better than in Black Panther, in my opinion. There is a, there is a moment that you see, and the best way I can describe it is kind of a moment... It's somewhat... Okay, the only movie I can compare it to, laugh if you want, is Coco. There's a visual in Coco that's similar to this a little bit. Um, I don't think it was meant to. Well, maybe. I don't know. Well, but okay. so It it's just actual- brings out this beautiful majesty that really tied everything perfectly. It's actually, um, it's actually a reference to an old Mexican film mm. that's uh, the, the it, 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 it basically it's the it's Mexico's version of of uh, what's that um, what's that Swedish movie called uh, the, the the one with death the guy the guy like oh the seventh seal. Yeah, it's the Mexican version of the Seven Seal where the character goes into this cave that's filled with like these particular things. It's it's a very famous movie in Mexico. I just cannot remember the name of it, but it's it's a reference to that movie. It's a clever reference too because yeah. I was I, like I didn't I, know that at all. I cuz uh let me see if I can find the name of the movie. Because it's it's an old it's an old black and white movie. Uh, God. Oh, it's it's gonna bother me because I've seen the movie. It's it's actually like one of the most famous. Uh, it's actually one of the most famous uh, uh, Mexican films. Let me see in black. Because it's from the golden age. Uh, mm. Which are those? Yes. Well, you've, what was Macario. It? That's what it's called. Macario. Okay. Came, came out in 1960. It is one of the most famous films of Mexican cinema. Mm. Um, in fact, I think our, our local like uh, our local like uh, rental video rental place has it. Okay. It's really well nice. done. Um, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, and it's a reference to that, and it's kind of the same idea, like the the what what those things represent in Macario are the same things they represent in Blue Beetle. But well, point being, like, like you I said, I will say that must be a very deep movie because that moment was very deep. <laughs> oh, it is a very deep movie. Um, but the thing is, is as the scene was happening, I was like, oh my god, you guys are ripping off Black Panther. Oh god, don't do that. Because I thought, I thought, like, here's the thing. Uh. The movie in terms of plot is not groundbreaking and in terms of kind of character arcs is not groundbreaking. What I would argue that makes the movie so good is the is the relationship between the family members. That's what makes the movie so so well done and and so impactful. But its plot and its character arcs are not anything groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. When this scene happened, I thought, okay, they're aping Black Panther. Uh, it's and it's one of the more iconic parts of Black Panther. I don't, I don't know how this works, but then they do their own thing because they reference something that is so uniquely Mexican. So like, like anyone who's who's from Mexico has seen this movie. It's like, okay, they they 
they they've been able to claim this as their own because they're using something that's even older than Black Panther. It, it really older than superhero movies itself. This movie came out in 1960. And I I really respected the movie for doing that, where I guarantee you that in the script, like, no, no offense to the screenwriter, but probably was like, you know, what would be great here? Let's do something like that. Like what was done in Black Panther. They don't they don't own doing this type of scene. Disney doesn't own this. Well, we'll just do it. I mean, it's we're obviously copying it, but hey, <laughs> great artist steal. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm almost certain that the filmmakers, Angel Manuel Soto, was like, well, what can we do to make this uniquely ours? Oh, I know. Let's reference a movie that members of this family would have seen. Macario. And it worked. Mm. It really worked. Uh, and, you know, there's other things that make that make the scene different enough that is not a one for one recreation of. Oh, yeah. Of, a, of that similar. scene. Well, it's Black more Panther. intimate, too. It, at least for me, it was because it's. It, OK, so. Not let me be clear. I'm not saying what Black Panther's version of this scene. I'm not saying their version was bad, but I'm saying that this, this Blue Beetle made this sequence far more personal for uh, the lead character. Far more. I, I not just not just in the conversation, which was very similar uh, to Black Panther, but the the, the environment specifically. I, I think it also helped that that. And then this is just my theory. Jaime is very much emotional and like very visibly distraught. Mm-hmm. Whereas T'Challa was very was, stoic in that scene. That's true. Yeah. And, and, you know, I feel like, I feel like we relate more to someone who's like, cause Anyone who would experience that, I would be closer to like a sobbing mess than I would be compared to T'Challa, who was like very stoic. About it. I mean, he still had like one tear coming down his his eye, but it was the single tear moment. Yeah, but I I would be more like Jaime was, which was just sobbing and like not wanting it to end. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. Uh, listen, I love this movie. I think that's pretty obvious, but I do have my criticisms of the movie. Can um, I say one right off the bat? Sure. This the biggest criticism that I think. Well, the thing I can say that summarizes my criticism of this movie is that it's it's a little mean. Call it a criticism, but it, call it a crit- criticism. But it is just the honest truth. This movie could not have existed without Iron Man. Like flat out, it couldn't have. There's so much it borrows from Iron Man, not just in like mainly in a lot of the vi- not sorry mainly in a lot of the action sequences. So. If that's a criticism, I think it is a little bit because, well, as well as one of our great teachers once said, "Good writers steal, great writers steal." Well, there were there were a couple moments that were so clearly like, "Okay, guys, like, can we knock it back a bit with this? Like, this is this is an inch too far." Now, again, this did not ruin the movie for me because it managed to uh, flow with its authenticity much much more. That that aspect was much more noticeable. But if you watch Iron Man, you pretty much get a nearly similar plot. I hate to say it. Um, I agree with you. I would say, though, that that's, that's kind of what you get when you're going to make a Jaime Reyes movie. Mm-hmm. Because his version of Blue Beetle really is just Iron Man, but with alien tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's just no going around it. There really isn't. Um, I, I do agree with you, though, that... 
they, in terms of plot, they could have done some things that. Well, because here's the thing: the 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 this the first fight with the heavy, the first one, is so. Some of the, my problem is the fights with the heavy, which, for the record, credits to the director for making that character interesting at the perfect moment. To be clear, which does differentiate him in a lot of ways. But there's a certain fight sequence with the heavy that is at times shot for shot almost exactly like this fight sequence with Obadiah Stane in uh, Iron Man 1. Like, there's just... Or the first Iron Man. There's yeah. just a few moments where it's like, this is a little too close. Like, you could have taken an inch an inch back, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're, you're totally right there. I would just say that... Because I, I share that same criticism. I just also would say, like, well, there's no escaping... A Jaime Reyes story kind of aping from a Tony Stark story. It's just mm-hmm. like literally, literally how the comic was designed to do. Um, and that's what it was. You're right. That is, we, as I said earlier, that's what it was made to be. It was made to be their response to Iron Man getting, not Iron Man existing, Iron Man getting popular. Yes, yes. You're totally right there. Now, my big criticism, like the big, big criticism I have is that. I'm sorry. And I'm starting to think that I'm starting to think that like it, which is not going to get a lot of it anymore is that the villains are just not interesting. Uh, for the most, mm. like, like Susan Sarandon as Victoria Cord, she plays, uh, she plays the older sister of Ted Cord who took over the company when Ted Cord disappeared. It, I, I'm anybody could have played that role. Yeah. I ham sandwich could have played that role. <laughs> And look, we we love her. She's great, but not she, she, she's great. But this it was, it was literally like, this literally like like they just said, okay, Susan, just uh, twirl your mustache, and that's it. Yeah, um, twirl your mustache. There's there's no depth. Like and here's the thing: the movie tries to give her some depth. That the re- she is the way she is because she was, she was like unfairly stepped over because she was a woman. But it gets mentioned like twice and it really has nothing to do with her character or her just being such a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they try to bring up her relationship with her niece, Jenny Cord, but it's just only like very lightly touched upon. Uh, it looked like what the movie wanted to do was like kind of compare and contrast the Cord's family dynamic with the Reyes family dynamic. But then they kind of dropped it. And like they do nothing interesting with her whatsoever. Mm. Uh, And that kind of extends to the heavy as well. Uh, Carapax, he he pretty much exists throughout the entire movie to 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 be like the evil version of Blue Beetle. Like 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 he uses core to tech to to have his own suit of armor because he was he's a disabled uh, veteran of the Guatemalan Civil War. And, you know, he wants to, I guess, be made whole by being part of this tech. He's kind of like uh, uh, Victoria Cord's guinea pig. So he's just there to punch Jaime or to, <laughs> to, to he's just there to punch Jaime. And I'm not going to lie. Throughout the movie, I was like, oh, why are we watching this guy? Oh, of course. Of course, he's going to have a red version of the mm-hmm. of the of the beetle outfit. Of course he is. I, I was like really annoyed with him. And then the movie does this horrible shit where they make him a super interesting character in, in like last five minutes. No, no. In the last 30 seconds of his screen time. 
Oh, if it's screen time, yes. And here's the thing. The shit we saw, I was like, holy fuck, this is really interesting. Were you like, mad that the movie got away with that? Yes, I was so <laughs> mad. I was so mad because I was like, I was like, oh, this is a waste of this actor's talents. Because I, I know he can be a great villain. He's an amazing villain in Apocalypto. Oh, yeah. And then those last 30 seconds, like, I was, like, floored over how fascinated <laughs> I was by it. I was like, what? Like, I was like, I need to know more about this character. Yeah. I was so mad because up until then, I was like, fuck this guy. Fuck. He's, so, he's such a bad villain. Yeah. <laughs> or he's such a badly conceptualized villain. And I, I don't know. I I totally understand that, that they like, probably... Like, for a minute, I was like, oh, my God, he's worse than the villain from Shazam 2. Oh, shit. This is bad. I was like, I was like, oh, he's he's like... He's like about as bad as the villain from Black Adam. Yeah, but and, and, but and then this the, turns it around at the very end. And then end. the movie turns it around. I'm like, fuck. I'm, like, I wanted to watch the movie again just to kind of catch like the subtleties in that because this is an actor who would put that subtlety in in his performance. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. I want to watch it again just to see that. Um, but yeah, those were that's my big criticism is that Victoria Cord is just not a great villain. In fact, she's kind of a really bad one. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I've had that I've, I've mentioned before, um, or no, I haven't mentioned before. It's like, listen, superhero movies, they seem to have these requirements that I don't know why. Like, oh, well, I know why one exists because it's a superhero movie. Like, but there's these requirements that they have to have that I'm like, okay, I, I don't see why you have to have these other things. Like this one thing I understand, but these other things I don't. And that's a superhero movie always has to have a villain. Preferably a villain that the superhero can punch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you understand that because it's a superhero movie because that's what comic books are. Mm-hmm. And then this other thing is that, like, the superhero has to have a love interest. Just has to. Yeah. Uh, there's no escaping it. I, I cannot think of a movie that didn't have a love interest or a superhero movie that didn't have a love interest. Like, hell. I can't either. Deadpool had a love interest. Hellboy had a love interest. Hellboy had a love interest. Which, because uh, guess what? In the graphic novels, he does not, for the record. Um, uh, there's a love. There's there's a romance in Watchmen. Um, yeah. Batman has like a hundred love interests. Everyone has love interest. Yeah. And listen, uh, the 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 chemistry between the two the the two leads, Sholom uh, Madueña and um, and uh, oh god, the actress's name, I I forgot it. Uh, Bruna Marequesin. Like, they have good chemistry. But the movie's just kind of like, yeah, Jaime likes her because she's hot, and they're just going to be together because we kind of need him to have an attachment to the Cord family. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I I feel like they could have gone deeper with it. The movie tries to go deeper with it, that that she not only falls in love with Jaime, she kind of falls in love with the family in general because – they have the relationship she wished she had in her life right now. They try uh, that, but then it's just like, she's just, because uh, here's the thing. What, and you know what helps that with me is there's a line the sister has where like, she basically explains that Jaime is the golden boy. He's the popular one. Like they, at least one thing I appreciated about this movie is they acknowledge that like, yeah, he's a good-looking actor. Like he's a good-looking person. Like they, 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 they acknowledge. It's like the characters acknowledge this as a fact. Like, yeah, you live in this like 
You know, you're you're you come from a family that's not economically wealthy, but yes, the sister says you are the popular one. Like, deal with it. Okay, wow. Surprise, and again, surprise. That and that of, does help, I think. And again, you you're kind of touching on something that I think is the biggest strength of this movie. Every member of the family has a character arc. Oh yeah. Like, no matter how small they have what, and it's really really good. And then it comes to a crescendo after the the climax. Where where the where you know the families together there was a tragedy but they couldn't grieve and now they say okay now we can grieve yeah and everyone has a great character arc and that's uh, that's what you just touched on was the sister's character arc and it just it just works and again I I have to drive the point home what makes this movie better than anything I've seen from DC this year is the fact that the family element is not only its strongest aspect of the film it's also it's most compelling and it's most complete and yeah like i I don't know if i'll see a movie that's a movie about family that's as good as blue beetle i I really don't maybe maybe this year not this year like i don't it's just so well done and i think that's because at the heart of latin american culture is family it really is and they knew they couldn't fuck that up and I'm, i'm really happy to say they didn't even though i have criticisms like with the romance you know it's it's kind of just tacked on and like I, I never felt like it was as real as it could have been the villain victoria court just sucks as a villain she really yeah. does carapax is saved by the last three seconds yeah which is it it's still it, and i actually would say it is upsetting that that worked as well as it did it shouldn't have like the movie shouldn't get away with like last 30 seconds doing this because there are a lot of movies that do something similar and it doesn't work, but somehow it was so intense that you're like, Oh geez. Okay. And I think what saved it is there is something that Carapax kept doing throughout the movie. That was the gun over the mantle place for that, for those 30 seconds. And had he not continuously done it, it wouldn't have worked. Like had they not included that little thing, I'm being very vague as you know, had he not done that little thing over and over again throughout the movie and they had just had that sequence or they just had him doing that thing over and over again, but they didn't have that sequence, neither would have worked. You actually needed both to work. I would also say that, um, listen, Adriana Berraza as Nana Reyes, as the grandma, she has a moment in this film that is so funny and so badass that it, on paper it should not have worked. It should not have worked. Well, because Everyone, we saw it in the, we saw a hint of it at the trailer, and we're like, that doesn't work. But yeah, it does, but she it plays did. it so perfectly. And then uh, Damian Alcazar as Alberto Reyes, he has a monologue that is so like such a thing a loving dad would say mm-hmm. in the midst of tragedy that you're like, oh my god, that's that just feels so real. And George Lopez, man, like I don't know how they sold the the uncle rudy to george lopez where it's like so you're kind of like this conspiracy theory like gen x uncle who builds like shitty tech and thinks the government's always after him and he's kind of a loser but he also loves his truck and you're like, oh, God, I mean, that, that's an interesting character. Please don't give it to George Lopez. And the fact that George Lopez knocks it out of the park, that you actually believe that this is a real guy. 
Oh yeah, like, that that is credit to that. There there are moments where you lose sight of George Lopez and just see this character, which is shocking. Exactly, where I'm like, I I I've seen that guy before. I've seen that guy before who thinks like the government's always after him. And, I know and, some people like that. You know, and but we it felt know so some true. Like yeah, that. we do. It felt so true to life, and uh, the the chemistry Sholo had with Velisa Escobedo as brother and sister. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the relationship between me and my sisters. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Like they genuinely felt like siblings, you know, like, like I, I like, it was one of those things where I'm like, wow, I know they're not related, but like, it feels like they are like, it genuinely feels like they are. Um, all right. Is there anything you want to add C before we give our rating? I'm ready to give my rating whenever you are. Give your rating. This is a blue flush. It's really good. It's unexpectedly good. Um, like like I said, we we actually saw this together with our good friend Jay, um, and we were. I remember when the movie the, when the lights went up at the end. Jay looked at us and said that had no right to be that good, and I absolutely agree with that statement. It had no right to be that good, but it was. And for that, I give it a blue flush because it's not without its problems that we've mentioned, but yeah, blue flush all the way. Yeah. This to me is a, this to me is a, a, uh, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a Mexican flush. Okay. It is so authentic to the, to the Mexican American family experience. Like it's, it's just shocking how authentic it is and how true to life it is. Even though it's about an alien scarab exosuit that takes over its host. Um, the family element is the strongest aspect of this movie. And it's the reason you should see this movie. It really is. Um, the blue beetle stuff is good. It really is, but it's nothing groundbreaking. The only thing that's groundbreaking at for me would be that the suit's actually practical for the most part. Like yeah. when, 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 when would you ever say that? Like for God's sakes, uh, capes are no longer practical in these superhero movies, which makes me want to gag, but you know, either way. Yeah. But, but here we are, we, we get a practical suit. We, we should cherish it, cherish it. Like I said before, this movie does have problems for me. It's the villains. And then it's kind of the, the kind of slapped on romance. But the family aspect is so good. Um, and every member, everyone who plays a member of that family is just perfectly cast. Charlemagne the Duenia is going to be a star. I, I just feel it in my bones. He's He's got the looks. He's got the talent. He's got the intangibles. He's, yeah. He's and got he's got what he needs for it. You know what? I, I know we were kind of criticizing James Gunn about it before, but I can totally see why he was like, you know, the universe that this movie sets play, takes place in is not going to continue existing, but this guy is going to be Jaime Reyes in my universe because he's just the perfect Jaime Reyes. Uh, and I'm excited to see what he pops up in next. I'm, I like, I don't know if it's going to happen, but like if James Gunn wrote on Twitter, Hey, uh, after Superman legacy, we're going to do Batman and then we're going to do teen Titans and mm. Jaime is going to be in Teen Titans. I'd be like, well, I'll, I'm going to come yeah. in to watch that, see that because because this this kid is great. This kid is so good. Um, yeah, no, the cast is perfect. Uh, the story, like he said, it takes from Black Panther. It takes from Iron Man. It's not groundbreaking at all, uh, but it's competent enough. It's sufficient enough that you're not like, 
you you just it you know a movie where it's like yes it's the same story beats but they're comforting beats that's what this is you know but it does have that thing going for where the family element is just so strong and just so unique on its own and i appreciate it for that so with that said uh this will be our last dc review until aquaman oh my god you're right that's that's freaky you know here's the thing though uh but i'm okay with it we uh i'm okay with it too uh i've been on a high note you know no, you know you know what's funny though is that uh we're gonna have to watch the marvels and... no no we're no we don't uh, i know we, no i know we do i know we do i know we do i i the only thing i i can say is that i don't know if the marvels is going to just be mediocre like I, I don't know what's what's more possible, that the that the Marvels is just mediocre, or that Aquaman is so bad, that it's so bad that I'm gonna be happy the DCEU is dead. I don't know what's more probable. Listen, we've all we're we're gonna save the stories for when it comes out and we can solidify them. But yeah. Al and I have heard some stories about the set of Aquaman two that are insane <laughs> and, um, that that, yeah. that being said that being said james wan made one of my favorite movies of 2021 with uh with malignant holy I, shit i remember hearing you watching that in your room it was a combination of oh my god and no and that was those were the <laughs> and main laughter ones. laughter and laughter some laughter yeah oh my god which you need to see malignant dude i know you really, i do you really do all right so this has been what do you think i'm al i'm c and now i'm starting to hear the music play out in my head right now good night everybody (laughs) 